This episode of Promised Land uses audio clips that contain language and subject matter that are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. I've never lied to you. Your Bible is full of lies. Your sky god makes no sense. If he was all perfect, why don't he come down and do something? If he can heal everybody in a minute, why doesn't he heal them all? Why do he make all these different races to fight and to kill? Why does he bring some into the world born blind? America, 1973. Christian America. Jehovah's America. Bible America, 1973. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain by following me. Why don't you deny yourself? Why don't you deny yourself? Why don't you say yes to this cause and no to that slave system? I thank you. I thank you. I thank you because my words are spirit and my words are life. This is a revolution that will heal you. This is a father that will save you. This is one that will shepherd you forever strong. Now you say you don't like that word outside. No. Inside, though, our children have been hurt with it so much, we kind of joke about it. That takes some of the sting out of it. And we're glad to be. When I look at these honkies fighting over each other when they're dying, and they look so drab, I watched them coming out of Betty Grable's funeral, and I said, look at Dorothy Lamore, and I tell you, Dorothy looked like she was 150. I look at those people in that honky world, they're unhappy, they're, 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 they're empty, their life is meaningless, they've got nothing but their possessions and they can only hold them till they die, and their family's standing like vultures ready to take them. When I look at all those unhappy honkies, I'm glad I'm a I'd join Elijah Muhammad, but I'm not going to stand and have look at somebody's color, I'm going to look at their actions. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. We had the Ku Klux Klan doing that to us. They judge us because we were Jewish or black or Indian. They would, they would burn their crosses in our yard. If you were Catholic too, honey. Some of you Catholics think you're not, but you are. The Ku Klux Klan is rising again. Davenport can tell you. We, we saw it front page news here in the Los Angeles Times back in Indianapolis. You can't have Negroes in your home. In Martinsville, they'll burn crosses in your yard. They'll sweep you away at night. The Ku Klux Klan's meeting every Friday. And if their hate is against Catholics, Jews, blacks, Indians, Mexicans, anybody from lower Europe, Greek, Latin, Spanish. So, honey, you didn't know it, but the Ku Klux Klan calls you a Ukiah wasn't as accepting to Jim Jones and the People's Temple like he thought it would be. Upon arrival, it wasn't long before the members started to lose hope. Ukiah was a small community that was primarily white. The members found it hard to adapt to their new home as residents didn't take well to African-American temple members moving into their neighborhoods. The children weren't accepted by the other kids in schools, and the adults found that the other residents were very cold and short when they would speak to them. Jones noticed the lack of acceptance and pushed nuclear threat back onto the temple members during sermons to make sure that they wouldn't want to leave and move back to Indianapolis. 
He took to sending local political figures letters of gratitude for all their hard work and cakes when there was a special occasion. All residents in the community were given letters of congratulations or condolence to show that even though they didn't accept the People's Temple, the temple was there for them. Even with reaching out to the community, there was no one to recruit in a mainly middle-class white community. There were no social struggles to amend and no political power to gain. Jones quickly realized that Ukiah was not going to work for the People's Temple. Still, Jones and Temple members worked on bringing in new members to the Temple whenever opportunities presented themselves. Jones took on two jobs while in Ukiah. One was a high school teacher and the other was a part-time teacher for an adult night class at the local community college. It was there that Jones was able to bring in some teenage members into the temple. Others were found through local jobs members had in town. Two of the members that became very prominent in the temple were Larry Layton and his wife Carolyn, who was a high school teacher at the high school Jones taught at. By the spring of 1966, People's Temple members rose to about 150 members. Thousands of demonstrators opposed to the Vietnam War assembled in the nation's capital for a mass protest. For the most part orderly, minor scuffles did occur between the demonstrators and hecklers. A three-hour parade takes the demonstrators across the Potomac on their way to the Pentagon. The crowd estimated at about 50,000 persons was a loose confederation of some 150 groups and included adults, students, even children. It is at the Pentagon where the first test of strength comes. Military police contain the crowd, but clashes soon break out. Federal marshals arrest several who attempt to break through the protective line. Reinforcing the marshals, a second wave of MPs with fixed bayonets in scabbards move into position. Some 400 demonstrators are arrested, two soldiers are injured, and tear gas is used. Six break into a Pentagon side door, but are quickly apprehended in the day-long disturbance. The next day, campfires are lighted to hold off the autumn chill. The same weekend saw nationwide demonstrations supporting American GIs in Vietnam. The Pentagon protest was less violent in its second day of sitting in. The two-day protest ends with over 600 arrested and the widespread opinion that the demonstration made everyone a loser. During this time in America, a lot of civil unrest was happening with the Vietnam War. Jones decided to stage a march in protest of the increased military involvement in the war. He chose two of the temple's newer members, Gary Lambrev and Bonnie Hildebrand, to run this march through the town square, ending at the county courthouse. Jones had plans to be out of town that day, which made Gary and Bonnie very nervous, but they didn't want to disappoint him or the People's Temple, so they agreed to lead the march. Earlier that day, Jones called Marslin with a vision. He stated that he envisioned that someone was going to try to hurt Gary during the march and that Gary needed to be careful. When the march proceeded to the county courthouse, Gary nervously walked to the stairs to prepare for his speech when he noticed a man slowly walking up the stairs towards him. At the same moment, he noticed Jones walking up the street. The man also noticed Jones and immediately retreated. Gary later recalled, quote, I felt as though there are suddenly glass walls around me. 
that Jim was completely protecting me from this man. Jones later claimed that his vision was just too strong to ignore, and he forced his driver, Joe Phillips, to turn the car around and head straight to the courthouse to save Gary's life. Temple members and Gary took notice to this event and chalked it up to another miraculous deed their father did for the People's Temple. It wasn't just the Temple members who witnessed this event. Judge Robert Winslow, the judge of the Mendocino County Superior Court, also saw what happened and saw how even though the town did not approve of the People's Temple, the Temple members and their pastor stood for what they believed in. He then appointed Jim Jones the foreman for the grand jury. This wasn't a big title, but this gave Jones a small political stance in the community of Ukiah. As the result of this vision, Jones started to stress more visions during his Sunday sermons. He envisioned that the temple was going to hit a quote, accident cycle, and that temple members needed to be careful, especially when traveling. It so happens that when people meditate upon me, or when I meditate upon them, cancers will be eradicated. Accidents can be prevented. I think some of you are taking it too lightly. Some of the academy and the intellectuals and the so-called people of higher knowledge in this atmosphere, you take it for granted that these things are just the means of bringing people to enlightenment. I want to tell you, it's not just a happenstance, it's not a means to bring someone to enlightenment that Mrs. Pennington, who was giving a quarter of her income, went down to the bottom of a lake with five people and then came up. No, that's not happenstance. When she called on my name and held on the picture, her car came up and all those got out as we heard the testimony last Thursday. All of them got out on the side of the car and then the car went back down, deep in the water. It's not a happenstance that some of you were nearly involved in accidents last night and you called on my name. It's not accident. It's not accident. It's not accident that some sitting on the front row, a car catches fire and a tire rolls and no one has their hands on the wheel as the sister Taylor. It's not an accident. No, no. It seemed like they were going to be able to get through this cycle without any actual incidents occurring until one night in September. One of the temple members, Marion Freestone, was the target of one of Jones's critiques in the middle of his Sunday sermon. Jones regularly would call out members for acting out against the temple in one way or another. For Freestone this evening, he was being called out for his lack of commitment to socialism. After a long night, Marion, accompanied by his wife and young daughter, made their way down the long, windy road back to Ukiah when their car missed a turn and went over the hillside and into the steep ravine below. Jones and another temple member, Mike Cartmel, immediately went down into the ravine to try and locate the Freestone's vehicle while waiting for emergency vehicles to arrive. Jones was pretty wounded from falling down the hill trying to get to the family. He stayed by the family's side in the hospital and refused to aid himself while waiting to get word on their condition. Jones would later come out to inform temple members waiting in the lobby that Marion and his wife were going to make it, but it didn't look like their daughter was. Temple members accredited Jones' healing abilities to the survival of the Freestones. By 1967, Jones was feeling more comfortable with the number of members they had acquired, but he still didn't feel 
that Mendocino County was the final home for the People's Temple. It was then during one of his sermons he gathered a few of his most trusted members to a back room to inform them he was visited by spiritual messengers, that the government was spying on them, and that the church needed to be immediately searched for hidden microphones. When none were found, he stressed to the people that they needed to get out and they needed to think about what he said. They're black, they're Indian, they're Mexican. They're identifying with the people that have been suffering and persecuted and prosecuted. But sometimes you look around here and you see somebody walks in here. I can spot them a mile off. I just put down my glasses or I'll look. You ought to tell me the way I look when somebody comes in. I'll just look. And some of you ought to take my message from my look and get over there and talk to those folk. And when somebody will go out, like a while ago, one of those Uncle Tom fellas trying to make his hair look like it's white, I watched him, went out, sent a word for him, and he was a spy on spies. Well, I know he was, because I said him. Lying dogs. I know who's here spying. So why don't you recognize, when people come in here, you ask and say, you believe in brotherhood? What do you mean by brotherhood? You believe in interracial equality. That's what you ask them. Say, do you believe it's all right for anybody to marry who they choose, live where they want to, work where they want to? They say no. Say, I think you know you got the wrong church. In later meetings, he brought up the possibility of moving the People's Temple to Russia. Everyone agreed with him except Joe Phillips. Phillips had concerns about the move, such as the fact no one spoke Russian, or shouldn't they learn more about Russia before making any decisions? He asked the basic questions that anyone would ask, but Jones saw it as a personal attack and was absolutely furious. Jones took personal offense to anyone who spoke out against him or questioned him in any way, and it didn't take long for his vengeance to fall on Phillips. Joe Phillips came to Jones to discuss a personal matter about a woman who found interest in him and the possible threat of an extramarital affair. Jones assured Phillips that he should indeed be unfaithful to his wife Clara. Not long after, Jones called Phillips out during a Sunday service in front of all the People's Temple members, accusing him of infidelity. Phillips pushed back on the allegations, claiming he was given permission by Jones only to find he was also attacked by his wife and his girlfriend. He immediately left the People's Temple and Ukiah. Jones could now sit back and not have to worry about a member speaking out against him or his decisions again. In 1968, a long relationship between the People's Temple and the Golden Rule was soon to end. One of the rules that the Golden Rule Church had in place for its members was that they were not allowed to visit any other churches besides their own. One of their members had grown fond of someone from the People's Temple, and they eventually fell in love. She went to the Golden Rules Council asking that she be allowed to marry a People's Temple member, where they insisted that she either leave her lover or leave the Golden Rule. Jones was outraged at this decision and immediately cut any and all ties with the Golden Rule Church. Because of this severed tie, the People's Temple were now without a building to hold their services. For the time being, services were held in personal homes of members 
while a new building was being constructed across from Jones's home. This new building would hold 500 or more people at a time, had a pool built for members to be able to enjoy in peace without the local community harassing them, and land to hold picnics for the members. Martin Luther King 20 minutes ago died. I would like to take this opportunity to ask Reverend John Genzel, who is the jazz minister, to lead all of us in prayer for Martin Luther King and the future of all civil rights movements. Would you please rise? Some very sad news for all of you, and I think uh, sad news for all of our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world. And that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight. America is shocked and saddened by the brutal slaying tonight of Dr. Martin Luther King. I ask every citizen to reject the blind violence that has struck Dr. King, who lived by nonviolence. I pray that his family can find comfort in the memory of all he tried to do for the land he loved so well. Also in 1968, one of the largest African-American churches in San Francisco was holding a service honoring Martin Luther King Jr. Several other churches were to be in attendance, and all the public was invited. Jones found an article in a San Francisco newspaper about this memorial service. He immediately ordered all temple members to stop what they were doing to attend this service. They all gathered in vehicles and made the journey to San Francisco. Their attendance was well noticed, as most of the People's Temple members were the only white people in attendance at the memorial service. They all showed their sympathy and sense of loss for Martin Luther King Jr. Many ministers from the local churches were asked to say a few words at the service. They also asked Jones to say a few words, as it was well noticed the amount of people he brought with him to the service. During his time, he praised the work of Martin Luther King Jr. He knew to keep his time short as to not overstep the other pastors. He also spoke of the work the People's Temple had been doing in Redwood Valley, the programs they offered, and their efforts to promote racial equality. He also mentioned a large ceremony the People's Temple was planning and invited everyone from the service to come and join them. This was news to everyone, including all the members of the People's Temple. As soon as they returned to Ukiah, Jones started planning. Jones used money saved in the Ukiah bank account to rent out the fairgrounds to make sure they had enough space for everyone that he planned would attend this event. He knew that he needed to do something to catch everyone's eye and bring light on the People's Temple. He decided to bring back his healings. He had a small few members who were to be plants in the crowd. Only his most trusted members knew his healings were staged, but believed it was for the better good of the temple. In particular, Patty Cartmel. Your left hand's crippled. That's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the thumb, stiff, all sorts of trouble in your hip. That's right. And your side. That's right. 
Do you have some connection with the Dr. Clarence C. Woods? That's right. Yes, I know. Uh-huh. <laughs> You've told this to no one here. Yes, Come down now. Your hand's going to be completely healed. I'm going to take all that, all that crippling out of the hand. I've got to get a growth out of your body that's causing the difficulty in your back. She's coming forward now. The pastor has come to the front to take her hand. He takes her hand now lovingly in his. She opens and closes. She opens and closes it. Amazed, amazed that it is now supple. It's now free. It's got to go in your body. She now goes with a nurse. She started to break into a run, slowed down to a walk as the nurse takes her to the restroom area for the patrolman prophecy. Sure do need him now. Sure do need him now. If you ever need him, you're gone before. On the day of the ceremony, temple members lined up waiting to greet all of their guests. The first bus pulled into the fairgrounds, with more to follow. The buses seemed to never end. Jones put on a flawless performance for his guests. He preached the Bible, did some healings, and had ministers from the visiting churches speak. After the service was over, everyone enjoyed refreshments and food prepared by the temple women. Temple members mingled with their new guests and exchanged phone numbers and mailing addresses, inviting everyone to come back for one of their Sunday services. Jones and the temple members made sure to keep contact with everyone from the event. Letters were mailed out, calls were made, small gifts were sent. Many of their guests made trips back to the People's Temple for Sunday services, where Jones would meet with them and have one-on-one meetings to feel them out and invite them to stay. During services, Jones would ask their guests if they were having any troubles with anything. Temple members would offer to help their guests work on any issues they had at home by writing letters, traveling with them if they needed to meet with an important person regarding their social security problems, or even help their children get off drugs or out of gangs. There was nothing the temple and Jim Jones wasn't ready to help these people with, and it really made a huge impact on a lot of them. Many guests never came back, stating it just wasn't right for them, while many others moved to Ukiah to join the temple. Member numbers soared during this time from 150 members to 500 members in just one year. The following year, in 1969, Jim and Marcelin had a strong marriage for the most part. Marcelin worked behind the scenes, making sure that everything in the temple ran smoothly. Where Jones expected everyone to do their part for the cause with a stern approach, Marcelin would be more gentle and kind to the members, though her vision was the same. She was an excellent mother to their children and always made sure to spend time with each of the kids. She found solace in her children when she wasn't needed in the church. But their marriage had some roadblocks along the way as well. Marcelin had chronic back pain as early as childhood that would leave her disabled at times. After carrying their son Stephen, the pain only grew worse and would leave her bedridden for days at a time. Her relationship with Jones at this time started to diminish as she was unable to fulfill Jones's needs sexually and frustrated from being stuck in bed with back pains, she had a tendency to snap at Jones whenever he was around. 
For Jones, he felt that sex was a large part of marriage, and if she could not fulfill these duties, that maybe it was time to find someone that could. Jones went to one of his trusted advisors, Patty Cartmel, and discussed the possibility of finding one of the temple women, particularly Carolyn Layton, to become his mistress. Carolyn was 24 and was raised to be socially active in her beliefs. Her parents would take her and her two sisters to anti-war demonstrations and civil rights movements as children. She was raised to stand up for what she believed in, and it seemed the People's Temple was everything that she believed in. It would be up to Patty to talk to Carolyn, who was married to Larry Layton, and convince her that sleeping with Jones was for the greater good. She explained to Carolyn that Jones needed someone to not only provide emotional support, but also be able to provide him with the physical release as Marceline was too ill mentally and physically to provide her husband with these things. Her last words to Carolyn was, quote, Jim needs this. Once Carolyn agreed to this arrangement, Jones explained the situation to Marceline. He explained to her that he had no intentions on leaving her, that he still loved her deeply and she was still needed in the temple but he needed to find someone that could fulfill him where she couldn't. Jones knew Marceline's background and her upbringing. She was raised to believe that once you got married, you stayed married. He knew that the love for the church and for her children would keep her there through this time, and he was right. Though on the inside, this broke Marceline. She remained mother of the People's Temple, and more importantly to her, mother of her children, who were also informed of this affair. Uh, the other, this is another subject, but the thing that I had to really deal with, and probably the hardest thing for me, not the fact that all you women were screwing my husband, but the fact that you used me to get married. And being being the leader's wife is a, somebody we talked this morning, that is the truth, I swear yeah, to God. It's a, a lonely situation. Uh, you know, as far as really having any friends, I mean, people you can talk to, there's nobody, really, usually. But you still, I, I was really Pollyannish, and I needed the camaraderie of another woman, or other women, you know, someone I could talk to. And to, the hardest thing for me to face is the fact that most women didn't give a damn about being a friend to me, but used me to get to him. Carolyn had her family come and visit her in her home, and when they arrived, they didn't see her husband Larry around. It was then that she informed them he was in Nevada, filing for a divorce. Her parents were shocked with this news. She told them she wanted them to meet her new pastor, and called him on the phone to come over and meet her parents. Jones quickly arrived and put on a big show for her parents and siblings, but they were not convinced. He reminded them of a bogus evangelical preacher putting on an act for them. To their shock, Carolyn then told them that she was, quote, seeing him. Shocked by the news, they immediately left Carolyn's house, and her mother, Barbara Moore, was crying as they left. Carolyn later wrote a letter home to her sister, explaining her relationship with Jim Jones, saying, quote, I realized that I was always bored by men until I met Jim. Whatever interest I'd have in men before him faded, and boredom ensued within a few days, and sex was never fulfilling. I can't express how completely every need for companionship and romance is fulfilled by him. He is always there when I need him. 
Jim is the only man I've ever respected because he is consistently loving. He would like to do many things for me, among them get me a more comfortable house. Jim was completely faithful to a sick woman for 20 years, as Marcy herself will explain, and he is my real companion in love. Perhaps you wonder why I talk so much about Jim. He is everything to me. He has given my life meaning and purpose, and most importantly, love. I would trust no other as I trust him. Though Carolyn's divorce with Larry Layton was sudden, he took it for what people could see as very well. He stayed loyal to the temple and was eager to please Jones any way he could. He eventually married another temple member named Karen Toe. In 1970, Marcelin wrote Jones a note, as she liked to do now that she had shared time with her husband and Carolyn. In this note, she wrote, quote, As the time approaches for our 21st wedding anniversary, it seems appropriate to take inventory of our lives together. In one more year, I will have spent half of my life with you. It is the only part of my life that counts. In that time, I've known great joy and great sorrow. It has been my love for you that has tempered all things and made the good and the bad melt to compose a beautiful harmony. At times, I don't know what is best for you, but I do know you care. Regardless of who else you might care for, I thank you for including me. I'm sorry for the times I made you feel unloved. In my frustration, as I tried to measure up but never quite doing it, I thought I struck back in unkind ways. I'm grateful for the chance to prove my love to you. Thank you for your kindness and understanding. I don't know about tomorrow, but today I give thanks for each moment I share with you. The People's Temple was thriving with new members, so Jones started to look at the bigger picture. He wanted bigger and better things for the temple. He wanted a permanent residence for the People's Temple in San Francisco, as well as raising the socialist work for the temple to a nationwide level. In order to do this, Jones needed money. With the temple funds now pouring directly into his pocket instead of temple programs, he needed a plan. He didn't have any temple members who could help grow the temple's money to their best advantage while still keeping the temple operating. He desperately needed someone with a legal background who was dedicated to the socialist cause. In 1967, 29-year-old Tim Stone was the director of a legal services foundation that helped out lower-income residents in Mendocino County. The offices he was assigned to were in great need of repairs, but with limited budget, and he was unsure of how he was going to be able to get the repairs accomplished. Someone suggested to him a local church that helped out those who were in need, this is where he was introduced to the People's Temple. He reached out to the temple about the repairs, and to his astonishment, they came over first thing the next day and already had repairs underway. They finished a job that would usually take weeks to accomplish in a single day and left without word of payment. Over time, Stone would refer people to the temple for their programs in marital and drug counseling as their programs were praised in the area. No further contact with Stone in the temple was made for years until one Sunday in 1969 when Stone decided to attend one of the People's Temple services. At this time, Stone lived in the Bay Area and would make the trip up north every Sunday for the temple service, but wasn't ready to join the temple. In 1970, he and his fiancée Grace Gretsch decided to move to Ukiah and join the People's Temple. Stone worked as the county district attorney 
while at the same time working as an unpaid advisor for the People's Temple. His relationship with Jones grew very quickly. Temple members noticed how they were always together and that Jones grew very fond and trustworthy of Stone's opinions. It wasn't long before Tim and Grace were married and became prominent members of the People's Temple. With Stone being Jones's personal advisor and Grace becoming one of the main temple's counselors. When the Stones joined the People's Temple, it was a small church with little political influence over the area. But with an ambitious leader and his newly found legal advisor, things were about to change and quickly. I said the other day, somebody said, I've never asked you to fuck. I said, you talk so goddamn much, I wish you'd ask me to fuck, because if I'd have fucked you three times, it'd have been a hell of a lot less weight on me than all the fucking talk you do. You can fuck a father in a lot of ways. So he's trying to practice proud, proud I'll never fuck with father, but you talk me to death. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying anybody here. But people can talk your fucking ass off, and I just shouldn't have a raw dick. <laughs> Has a raw throat, right, mother? <laughs> I mean, a throat hurts too. Yeah. Promised Land is a cool-down media podcast. All audio clips for Promised Land come from the Jonestown Institute. For more information, visit their website at jonestown.sdsu.edu. Follow us on social media at Promised Land Cast and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.